0: Good morning, good morning, it's good to see all of you, welcome uh, to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Forum Church. Uh, I don't sound like I mean that, uh, but I sincerely do, welcome, we're so glad that you could be here today. The thing about being a pastor is that there's a Sunday every week, and so you just have to keep going, even when your voice decides to quit on you. But my friends, uh, welcome, we're glad that you could be here today with us, and that many of you... Uh, have actually just moved already from the fellowship hall to the sanctuary. Uh, we had a chance, uh, many of us, to gather and to eat at the start of, um, of our Sunday worship together. And so I want to thank especially our high school students. Um, <clears throat> and, and also their youth leaders. Um, and also, yeah, you clap for that too. And and Sue Cooper as well for their work in helping us to be able to host and administrate uh, this breakfast this morning. There we go. It was good to see the the fellowship hall full this morning and full of joyful conversation. And that's a big part of Advent, um, is being able to gather as the weather turns cold um, and the days grow shorter. Uh, In a season where the light gets smaller in the world around us, Christians are people who gather in hope and in joy and in faith, knowing that one day God will make all things new and that the sun will shine on us uh, in glory. Um, And so, my friends, i highlight just two things coming up for you in terms of future events. First is that on the 17th, uh, we have a Christmas pageant. That's a Saturday. We hope that you join us. It starts at 10 a.m., It's a chance to tell some of the Christmas story in costume, which will be really, really fun. And we're going to have a chance to eat a soup uh, meal after that. So please come and join us. Uh, Another joyful occasion. Then on the 18th, uh, Sunday evening, the next night, the Northbridge Association of Churches is hosting a blue Christmas service um, at the Methodist Church over there on Linwood. Advent is a season of joy can also be a very difficult and sad season. And so we hope that you'll join us on Sunday evening, the 18th, as a chance to lament, to remember those who we can't see and cannot spend the holidays with this year, to bring our joys and our sorrows before the Lord, um, gathering up the hopes and fears of all the years, as the hymn says, and laying them before God, who is making all things new. Speaking of that, my friends, you've gathered into his presence right now. I'd invite you to rise in body or in spirit, in the person or at home, and let's worship together.
1: Good morning, everyone. We gather in preparation for good news is about to be proclaimed.
2: We gather in expectation for joy is about to explode in our midst. We gather gather in in celebration celebration, for the the Lord Lord has has done done great great things things for for us
1: with preparation and expectation. Let's celebrate.
3: Angels from the realms of glory. The
4: newborn
3: King. The shepherds in the field abiding, watching o'er the flocks by night. God with men is now residing yonder. Shines the infant's light. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Come have your way among us, we welcome you here, Lord Jesus. The newborn King. God is with us even now, His love is here. Come and worship, worship Christ, the newborn King. God is with us even now, His love is here. His love is here. His love is here.
5: They say about me, it's okay, you don't have to pretend like you don't either. I know what they call me. I've heard many renditions of it, prostitute, harlot, adulteress, and the less kind versions of those names. And when I made the move from Jericho to the Israelite camp, I went by another name too, Canaanite, and the less kind versions of that name too. And I... No other Canaanites would have have called me if they knew about my bargain with the spies. If any of them had survived Jericho's destruction, they might call me a traitor, or less kind versions of that name. But what would you have done if you knew that destruction was coming and you found a way out? I saw an opportunity for rescue and I took it. It's not the first time I've had to make a tough call for my family. Back in Jericho, when my family's debts got too big, I was left with two options, slavery, or this profession. There's nothing noble about what I would do. There's nothing noble about it. But what would you do if your family needed to survive? I became a woman they call prostitute. But this work did have one benefit, in particular view on the world. You see other things people miss at the bottom of the city social ladder. You hear the things you dismiss in the Palace of Kings. I heard all kinds of stories. I started hearing stories about this band of former Egyptians called slaves, the Israelites. Strangers passing through spoke of promises their God made to them. Clients told me about the seas drying up before them. Tales were coming out of the desert about the way the enemies always seemed to fall before them. I've heard a lot of stories in my life, enough to know these weren't the exaggeration of drunken clients. So when those two spies called to my door, I saw through their disguise, and I knew what it meant and who they were. I saw an opportunity, and after years of making deals, I didn't even have to think about it. I hid the spies, knowing the police would come look for them. And sure enough, the police came. In my line of work, you learn that the best lies are half-truths. And soon enough, they were on a wild goose chase in the wrong direction. With the city gate closed and the spies trapped, now I was in a position to make a deal my family's lives for theirs they swore on it and I sent them on their way how did I know judgment was coming and that Israel's God was the true God how could you not know unless you were listening to their stories sure enough judgment came but God rescued my family from certain death more than that I got a new life in Israel and the joy of a son Boaz call me what you will but in God's story, I see that Hebrews and James both call me a hero of faith. What I liked best of all is that Matthew put me in his genealogy. He called me the mother of the Messiah. For by faith, God birthed the rescue plan through me and a new life for my family. Today, we light the candle of faith. By faith, we are too freed from judgment and received new life and family. By faith, we believe that the God of heaven came down to earth to offer salvation to enemies and strangers, to kings and even prostitutes. No deals necessary, just faith.
1: Friends, please rise as we continue singing.
3: the world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, look now for glad and golden now, come sweet. I the. Way. ancient splendors sling, and the whole world gives back the song, which now the angels sing.
1: Friends, you may be seated. So that song actually comes from right here in Wayland Mass, written almost 200 years ago. And Lord God, your salvation is nearer today than before. We confess to you that we have not kept watch for you with the eyes of faith.
2: We have been preoccupied with our own concerns. With selfish sights, we overlook the needs of people around us and have been dull to the gifts you've given us.
1: Forgive, Forgive us, us for our, lack our lack of watchfulness. Of watchfulness. Help, Help us to wait and faith for your God. Lord God, you came into the world to bring light into the darkness.
2: Prepare us for your arrival by illuminating our minds and hearts. Let the crooked be made straight and the rough be made smooth.
1: Shine your life and love into our lives and teach us about your will. Restore us, Lord Jesus. Place your, your wisdom, wisdom in our hearts. Keep us humble and faithful. Save us and sanctify us, O God. The Savior Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. We can take a moment in a silent confession to God. All the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who has come, will come again, and comes even now by his Spirit. He comes with good news, friends, forgiveness of sin and new life. Through his death and resurrection, he has opened us a path to the new life. In the light of his forgiveness, let us commit our lives to Christ's ways of hope and peace. By the spirit, we await his return with expectant faith and lives of love. Come, Lord Jesus. I'd now like to invite the deacons to come up for our morning offerings. So they'll be passing the baskets around. Uh, also in the bulletin or online, there's a QR code. Uh, you can give either way, uh, given greatness, uh, gladness too. So let me pray for our offering now. Father, in this Advent season, we long for your return. You are a faithful God, faithful in your love to us. Please receive these offerings and use them for your works in this world. Restore us, Lord, to the faithful people that you created us to be. Amen. Bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow, in the bleak midwinter long ago. Our God, heaven cannot hold him, nor earth sustain. Heaven and earth shall flee away when he comes to rain in the bleak midwinter for a stable place sufficed the lord god almighty jesus christ angels and archangels may have gathered there cherubim and seraphim thronged the air but his mother only in her maiden bliss worshipped the beloved with a kiss what can i give him poor as i am If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? I give him my heart. I invite you now to rise, embody your spirit, as we sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
3: Great is thy My faithfulness, O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changes not, compassions they fall not.
1: we get to hear good news that God makes peace and that he also forgives sins. And we get a chance right now to pass that peace with each other. So as we pass this peace, whether it's in a handshake or a wave, just know that in a real way we get to share God's peace. So familiar friends and, and new faces, the peace of Christ is with you. I'd like to invite the uh, kids ages four through second grade. They're invited to come up for a Kid Street dismissal. People of God, what is our prayer? Continue to show us your wonderful, never stop, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Amen. Lord be with you. Now go, go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God.
0: Friends, good morning. <clears throat> we continue our worship together, taking our hopes and joys, offering up to God in prayer. Would you join me in this congregational prayer? <clears throat> Lord God, you hold the future in your hands just as you hold our past and this present moment. God, you are beyond time and yet also in time and in this place. So we proclaim that you are coming again with power to bring all nations and peoples under the rule of your lordship through Jesus Christ. We hope for that future because we know about and believe in your first Advent in Bethlehem. In our season of Advent today, help us to be expectant people. Help us to trust that you are here in this place, and in this moment, and also to look beyond the moment. Help us to await your return to the world in glory and power, Although we want to do our daily work well and to your glory, help us to be people who also look ahead and are looking for you. As we sing about having our hearts open and our lives open for you to enter into, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit now and make us open people. Open us to the ways your kingdom can influence our decision-making at work or at school or at home. Open us to see Jesus in our midst. Open us to your kingdom and your presence in both our joys and our sorrows. Open us to this possibility, even as we bring you those things in prayer now. We pray and we lift up to you Things that remind us of the joy of new life this Advent season. Thank you for a wonderful breakfast with our church family today. Thank you for our high school students, for their leaders, and for this beautiful act of service that they've done for us this morning. Thank you that all weekend the church has been full. Not only this morning, but also yesterday for the Armenian Bazaar. It was wonderful to have them back Lord, thank you for our brothers and sisters at the Armenian Church and for the ways that we could partner with them to host this event for them. Thank you for many other kinds of holiday festivities that give us a chance to connect and a change of pace. Thank you for new families and for new visitors among us here at Pleasant Street. Lord, we lift up to you also those things that give us grief, and make us sad. <clears throat> we pray for those who are missing loved ones this season. Think especially of Dawn and Dave and their family as they mourn the passing of Dawn's father. We ask that you would be with Will B. as well, and with others who have lost loved ones this year. Lord, we think of people who are with us but have not been with us in worship for a long time. Think of Mikey B. Nelly Nellie, and Babe. We lift up to you also those with illness or surgery. We think of Carol, and Karen, and Steve. We think of Lauren and Chuck as they care for their families facing multiple health complications. We pray for Ann P. and her daughter, Katie, and their family. We remember Hank and Bev. Lord, in this season... Of joy and sorrow, it's also a time of transition. So we lift up to you those who are facing transitions, people who are looking for a church or for new work or new purpose, or who are facing a new phase in their relationship or a new stage in their family's life. We lift them up to you now, O oh God. We bring to you also those who carry burdens this season. We remember our postal workers for the UPS, FedEx, Amazon, and DHL workers who are carrying so many burdens in the form of packages this season. We pray that you would protect them and give them strength, that you would keep them warm and safe as the weather turns cold. We remember nurses and doctors who are short-staffed and sick and flooded with sick people, we think of retail workers pulling double shifts for plow drivers and servicemen and women fixing furnaces and power lines and heaters and pumps. Thank you for all of their work in the ways that their work benefits all of us, not just here at Pleasant Street, but in our whole community. Here in this place, oh God, we remember that you see needs and hurts, the things that sometimes are hard to speak or to carry during the holiday season. We ask that you would stand close to those this morning who struggle and that you would be near to those who are far away from us. You alone see us as we are, O God, in all of the complexity of who we are. And so we ask that you would nurture us according to our needs. It is because of your closeness in this Advent season and your knowledge of us, and your goodness and your patience, that we adore you, God of wonder and glory. And so hear us and be with us as we continue to worship you, to lay our hearts open before you. We pray this in Jesus' name, who is our Prince of Peace. Amen.
2: Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew 1:1-5, 1, 1, 1, Joshua two, one through twenty one, and Joshua six, twenty two through twenty five. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse. Then Joshua son of Nun secretly spent two shies from Shittim, Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, you may cut, catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hid them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. So I know that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us, unless, when we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible." As for those who are in the house with you their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them but if you tell what we are doing we will be released from the oath you made us swear agreed she replied let it be as you say so she sent them on so she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong with her in accordance with your oath to her So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Friends, good morning again from this vantage. <clears throat> as, we, uh, as we continue our Advent journey in Matthew chapter 1, would you pray with me? Make us to know your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us, for you are the God of our salvation, and it is for you and you only that we wait all day long. Amen. This Advent, we are looking at Matthew chapter 1 in order to get ready for Christmas. Matthew, uh, in chapter 1, gives us a genealogy, which is not the most interesting thing we've ever read in our lives. What is interesting, though, is that his genealogy mentions four women, four women in the family tree of Jesus. Now, that's unusual, but if you were writing a Jewish genealogy, and if you had reason to include women, you would probably include the four matriarchs of the faith, Sarah, Rachel, Leah, Rebecca. But those are not the four women whom Matthew includes. He includes four women whose backgrounds, stories, and professions make them unlikely choices for the family tree of Jesus, much less anyone's family tree. The Gospel of Matthew, you could say, is setting up a nativity set. And some of the figures whom Matthew includes are strange because he sets out Tamar and Rahab. Last week, he set up Tamar in his nativity, dressed up as she was, pretending to be a prostitute. This week, Matthew sets up the story of a woman who actually was one. We meet Rahab at the beginning of the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, the people of Israel are standing at the edge of the land of Canaan for the second time. They've just spent the last 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. The first time that they got to the edge of the Jordan, Moses was leading them, and Moses sent spies, and the spies came back, and everybody panicked. Now it's 40 years later and Moses has died and Joshua has been called and commissioned by God to lead the people. Joshua, for the second time, sends spies into the land of Canaan. He especially wants them to check out Jericho, a fortress city with impregnable walls, a citadel bristling with soldiers. Although it doesn't seem like the spies ever get very far, do they? In fact, all they ever seem to investigate is the inside of a prostitute's house. Rahab's house is built into the thick walls of Jericho. Rahab's house is like her role in society. She lives on the edge of society, even as she lives on the edge of the city. But what are those Israelite spies doing at Rahab's house, you wonder? And it's a good question. Well, we're not sure. You could say that it's just the kind of -of out-of-the-way place that is good for spying, a place where you can overhear important conversations without being noticed. Then again, perhaps it was just the lure of Las Vegas that caught them. We don't know. The story never quite tells us, because apparently what happens in Jericho stays in Jericho. However, the contrast is really striking, isn't it? In Joshua chapter 1, we have this reverent ordination ceremony, complete with vows and praise songs. In Joshua chapter 2, we're in the house of a prostitute. Added to that, there is more than a little innuendo in this story, and I don't want you to miss it, because I think the storyteller highlights that for us on purpose. In fact, you can see it in her name, Rahab. Old Testament scholar Ellen Davis noted that Rahab's name in Hebrew, it's a kind of old soldier's joke. Think of some of the names for female characters in James Bond movies and you'll get the idea. So here we are in Advent with a nativity set character who is the kind of woman soldiers make jokes about. She is the kind of woman who we would probably write off as a schemer, as someone who is manipulative, as someone who cannot be trusted, which is in fact how she seems to act. In this story, she manages to outwit not one, not two, but three different groups of men, including the king of Jericho himself. She is not just some broad. No, she is the smartest character in the entire story. As unusual and surprising as it is for us to read about a woman like Rahab as a nativity scene character, this is not the hardest part of the story, is it? No, if you've read Joshua, you know that the hardest part is the thing that hangs in the air over this story like a guillotine. It is the end of the world for the people of Canaan. Judgment day has come. Jericho, like Sion and Og before it, like the rest of Canaan, is under what theologians call the ban. God has designated these cities for complete, total, and unrelenting destruction. And you cannot tell Rahab's story or understand her without seeing this. Joshua is a story about the destruction of everything that is anti-God in the land of Canaan. Now, this is difficult for us, but it's important that we see that Canaanite society at the time is not a benign or innocent thing. It is wicked and it is evil through and through, from slavery to sexualized prostitution to the practice of child sacrifice. God has made it clear to Israel that God intends to establish through Israel a new kind of community, one that is marked by good laws, by peace and justice, one that is governed by God himself and his commandments. But this kind of society cannot coexist alongside the rampant idolatry and violence which has poisoned the very land of Canaan. As far back as Genesis, Yahweh has been warning Canaan about what will happen if they did not change. But the land of Canaan is now out of time and it is judgment day and Jericho is slated for utter and complete destruction. Well, what is interesting is that Rahab the prostitute seems to know this. Can you imagine perhaps clients coming to her house with stories about this God and what he did to Pharaoh and to the army of Egypt? Can you imagine hearing stories about what happened at the Red Sea when they walked through it as though on dry land? About what happened when the Amalekites in the desert when they attacked this band of slaves, thinking that this was a free lunch and getting something very, very different. Well, Rahab's been listening. While others scoffed at this band of slaves, while they took refuge and safety in the strength of their walls, Rahab was listening. And as Israel got closer to Canaan, Rahab is watching. One day, there is a knock on the door. She opens to find two men, clearly out of place. (laughs) Although trying very hard to wear a disguise, Joel and I imagine two youth group kids in a place where they shouldn't be. You just know they stick out like sore thumbs. She knows who they are, and she knows what it means that they are here. Rahab sees an opportunity and she takes it. Quickly, she brings the spires inside and she herds them up to the roof hiding them under piles of drying flax. Not long later, a second knock follows on the door below. The Jericho cops have showed up, but she isn't faced. This is not her first rodeo. Boys, please, she says. They were here Didn't know who they were. You know how it works. I don't ask questions as long as the money's good. But they didn't leave all that long ago. I bet if you leave right now, you could catch them before the city gate close. Let me know when you find them. She is so convincing that they don't even bother to check her house. Apparently, this is just the kind of thing that Rahab would do. Well, having redirected the cops, she keeps the spies hidden until the gates close. Jericho is a citadel, which means that there is only one way in and one way out. And so you see, Rahab has both saved and trapped these spies. She has now put them at her mercy. And she has put herself as a, at a position of strength in order to make a deal. Man, does she make one. She wants out, and she wants them to swear on their lives that they will get her out, her and her whole family. You see, Rahab wants as much leverage in this arrangement as she can get because in reality she knows that she is at their mercy. You see, Rahab has just taken an incredible risk. She lied to the king. And now she is on borrowed time. If Israel doesn't come for Jericho, she's a dead woman. But if Israel does come, well, she's a dead woman too. This is a very dangerous thing to do. You could even say foolish For a woman who lives around soldiers in a city where there is only one way in and out. And yet Rahab gambles on the God of a bunch of slaves. She has no proof. Only stories about who this God was and what Yahweh intends to do to Canaan. And what he intends to do for his people. While everyone else hears these stories, only Rahab sees an opportunity worth gambling her life on. Do you know that Rahab gets mentioned in the New Testament three times? Matthew includes her, but so does James and the book of Hebrews, and they call her a woman of what? Of faith. A hero of faith, actually. This woman who risks everything, who wheels and deals and arranges things in her favor all the way to safety, she is a hero of faith. Well, that's interesting. It's not always how we think about faith, is it? A woman who in desperation will do anything and everything in her power to get free. The only thing that helps us to make sense of this is the fact that Rahab is a woman who knows that she is living in a world that is under God's judgment. Did you know that traditionally, I mean as far back as like the 7th century, Advent was mostly a season about the second coming of Jesus. Advent was about the apocalypse. It was about the day of the Lord, Judgment Day, the return of God. And in the medieval church, Advent focused its four Sundays around what they called the last four things. Death, judgment, heaven, hell. The second Sunday of Advent was reserved for the judgment of God. And I know that all of us are tempted to thank our lucky stars that in these later centuries, we have instead come to emphasize sheep and stars and angels. We think of it, we think of exactly that as just the thing that represents judgmental Christianity that we hope will go away and never come back. But the judgment of God, my friends, is not the same thing as judgy Christians. Of which there are many. In fact, you could say that the kind of self-righteousness that Christians in our world are so often known for is more than anything a failure to understand God's judgment. It is a failure to take to heart Paul's words in Romans that there is not any single one person in this world who is righteous. Not one, Paul? No, not one. During Advent, Christians take very seriously the power of sin and evil as a domain, as a power who holds sway over us. It is a realm in which we live, and it sounds all the more severe with a pastor without a voice. But friends, the truth of Advent is that this world suffers under the weight of sin and death and guilt, even as the world around us struggles to figure out how to acknowledge that. The truth of Advent is that we suffer under the weight of sin and death and guilt, even as we struggle to acknowledge that. We do not talk about the coming judgment of God so much. We do, however, talk about justice a lot. Consider how many moral pronouncements you have heard or read this year. We are constantly drawing lines between good and evil. Somehow, did you notice? We always seem to be on the right side of that line. But friends, the drama of Advent is the decree of judgment and justice that comes only from one mouth, God's mouth, God alone. Advent is about letting God be the one to draw the line. And this, if we are honest, is a terrifying thing. There was a writer, last century, Russian guy, named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who spent a good portion of his life in a gulag. He once explained why this is so terrifying to us. He wrote, If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and if only it were necessarily just It was necessary just to separate them from the rest of us. If only it was necessary just to destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every single human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of himself? Who indeed? That, my friends, is an Advent question. The truth is that we often attempt to use justice to draw lines that keep us safe and destroy others. In 1971, when the Pentagon Papers, do you remember that? When the Pentagon Papers were revealed, when they revealed classified lies about Vietnam, Richard Nixon got scared that he would not be able to control the narrative. And so when a court injunction failed to stop the publishing, He tried to discredit the Rand Corporation employee who had leaked the document. If you can't deny, then discredit, right? Publicly, Nixon ordered the attorney general to indict Daniel Ellsberg. But speaking privately to Henry Kissinger, he said, quote, Don't worry about his trial. Just get everything out there. Try him in the press. Try him in the press. Everything that's part of the investigation, get it out. Leak it out. I want him destroyed in the press. Is that clear? Even at our best, justice is only ever a blunt instrument in our hands. Why? Who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Who indeed? It is our question in a world racked with sin and death. And so in Advent, we ask the question that we cannot be the answer to. Who is able to bring justice? Who is able when the line between good and evil cuts through my own heart? Who is able when our news is so heavy with sorrow and our hearts heavy with guilt that will not go away even when we pretend to forget its name? Friends, this is why at Advent we sing the plaintive and pleading and mourning song called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile. O come, O branch of Jesse's stem unto your own and rescue them from depths of hell your people save, dispel the shadows of night. Bid all our sad divisions cease. It goes on like that for seven verses. Pressing the reality of God's hanging judgment on the world. On us. Over us. Revealing that we are a people who live under condemnation. That we cannot escape. Yet we pass it out on each other in an increasingly endless cycle of recriminations. My friends, Advent is a time to take seriously the power of sin and evil, and to realize that it cuts through each and every one of our hearts. Vaclav Havel was a poet and a playwright in communist Czechoslovakia. While suffering under the brutality of communism, Havel became a dissenter. And he used theater, he used plays and art, isn't that interesting, to undermine the propaganda of communism. Needless to say, he also spent some time in and out of prison. But as the puppet Soviet regime began to collapse, Havel was there to lead what became the non-violent Velvet Revolution, He became the first president of the Czech Republic. He was a brilliant man, remembered for many remarkable things, but his first love and his deepest was perhaps the theater. Speaking about the theater once, he said that the role of theater is not to be positive or entertaining or instructive or soothing or explanatory. Theater's role is to remind people that, quote, the time is getting late and the situation is grave. Theater's role is to make the the clock tick. Which turns out to be a fine way to describe Advent. A time of urgency. A time when nothing else will do except to watch and wait while the world around us goes on as business as usual. What a genuine Advent examining the severity of situation will do is it will create a longing And you, for something beyond what humans can do. You will begin to long for the intervention of God. And what that does is it turns you into people who are watching. People who are waiting. People who are listening. Perhaps, like Rahab, waiting for an opportunity, waiting, for escape, listening, for good news. Rahab, the foolish prostitute, sees the arrival of these spies as good news. Isn't that interesting? They represent God's coming judgment, and she sees this as her ticket out. So she gambles on this God, and she goes all in, hoping that committing herself totally to them, that they will commit themselves totally to her. And that through this, God will show her and her family mercy, and that she will be saved from coming destruction. For she does not risk her life because Israel has good fellowship and snacks. And coffee, okay. She does not gamble on this group of people because they're nice and they're friendly. She doesn't gamble on them at all. She gambles on their God. Through them, she has heard about a God who is powerful enough to deliver on his promises to people, slaves that they be. She has heard about a God who heard the cries of people in Egypt and rearranged the geopolitical situation on their behalf. She has heard about a God who saved them from death and got rid of evil. She gambles on this God and that he might be willing to save her too. In a story about God's just condemnation on all of Canaanite society, the first thing that happens in the book of Joshua is a story about a prostitute who gets saved. That is so very important. It is so important because Rahab's house is justly condemned and then it's saved. When Egypt was justly condemned, Israel's homes were passed over because they were marked with the blood of a lamb. It was a sure sign It was an oath of God's mercy in a world of destruction. Rahab the Canaanite in her house, what does she put on her door? A scarlet cord. She gets her own Passover marked by a sign, a crimson thread on the door. I discovered that in the early church, Rahab's house Was a place of pilgrimage. Christians journeyed from all over the world to come and see what they thought would have been Rahab's house. Why? Because it was a place of salvation in a world of destruction, it was an ark, it was a church. It was a place of wisdom in a world that had gone entirely mad. It was a place of faith in God. Where you could see what it was like to risk everything. In a world that mocks that God is ever coming back. Her faith, her story reminds me of a parable that Jesus told about a treasure buried in a field which happens to be in the Gospel of Matthew. There was a man who was plowing a field and discovered a treasure, Jesus says. And seeing this thing of immense value, he sold everything he had to buy the field. This is why both Hebrews and James call her a woman of faith a model of what it looks like to trust God on par with Abraham himself. She is Rahab, the prostitute of faith. And Matthew mentions her too. Oh, but in Matthew's genealogy, she doesn't go by that name. Matthew drops that part of who she is. She goes by just Rahab. No mention of her profession there. Matthew removes that title as though to make room for another. She is Rahab, a mother of the Messiah. She expected God's justice and sought mercy and found salvation from the God of heaven and earth himself. She stumbled upon the real deal. And she took the gamble. She is a wise woman. Who saw that faith in Israel's God was actually and always the only sure bet in the world? She trusted that God. She trusted this God who has given us a far more certain gamble, an oath even. Jesus Christ, who is our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God wearing skin. Jesus Christ, the one through whom there is now no condemnation for those who believe. This Messiah brings justice in a world of divided hearts. And he is the only one with the power and the precision to make that call. His heart is torn So that we can have new ones. He is crushed by the weight of our sins so that we can know what it is to be free. This servant has come for you. For all the world. He gives what? The most precious thing he had. His life. For the world. His life for our cities and towns and families that groan under the weight of bad news and heartache. He gives his life for our lives. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son not to condemn the world, but to judge it and then redeem it. And now, those who risk, who give up their lives for his sake, Jesus says, will find a kind of life worth the price of admission and far more. For Jesus Christ is God's oath to us that in a world condemned there is mercy for all those who believe, even prostitutes like Rahab. Through Jesus God brings us into the household of faith. And therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But my friends, you don't have to take my word for this. Just ask Rahab. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? We ask, O oh God, that you would come, Emmanuel. That you would dispel the gloomy clouds of night. That you would ransom Captive Israel and captive us. That you would deliver us from hell and judgment. That by your blood, we would know that we are now part of a people full of stories like Rahab. People who found themselves out of good options and with nowhere else to turn who hit rock bottom and ran into a wall and felt lost and who were drowning and who were feeling crushed. And in that moment right there, saw you beneath us, lifting us up. We ask, O God, that you would make us to be the kind of people live and risk by this kind of faith. Amen. I'm about out of voice, so I'm going to invite my friend Steve up. He's going to lead us in an echo dismissal.
1: So students in grades uh, three through five are invited to come up and be dismissed for our echo time, which is a time for reflection. People of God, what is our prayer? Almighty, Almighty and loving God, God. Thank God, thank you for the gift of your word. Now, echo Amen. students can say this part. Believe what we have heard. Live in ways that honor you and the Amen. Amen. Now, go in peace to love and serve Jesus. I'd like to invite the worship band to come back up. You may, may rise and body your spirit as we continue with our singing.
0: those being redeemed and transformed into the likeness of Jesus, as those made safe by his grace and work and by the blood of the Lamb, we look forward to Christ's return. Even now, we look on the horizon and with hope, live as though that day is just around the corner. For we go with God's blessing and his promise. Would you lift your eyes, open your hands and receive it? Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. We are going to go singing. I wish you well. stay healthy. <laughs> also, we're not going to do a sermon discussion today. Sorry. See you. <laughs>
3: the world the Lord has come. Let earth
1: Jesus Christ.